You are listening to The Interactome, a podcast by a group of young researchers who want to connect you to the world of science by sharing their stories and perspectives. Just in case their bosses are listening, they want to remind you that the opinions expressed here are their own. They also want to remind you not to take anything they say as medical or professional advice, as they are not doctors. Not yet, anyway. Stay tuned about that. And, without further ado, welcome to the Interactome. Hello, Interactome viewers. Welcome back to our podcast. We're so excited to have you here um, to discuss perhaps a spicy topic today. Spicy. Um, Well, let's see. I'm quite excited to discuss this. So for this episode, we are going to be talking about stem cell biology and the ethics that are related to using stem cells in medicine. So um, to start off, I'll just quickly introduce myself. Um, So hello or welcome back to any viewers that are listening to this again. But my name is Maya. I am a PhD student in molecular and cell biology, and I'll be hosting today's episode. Um, So for a little background, this semester um, at my university, I'm teaching a stem cell course. Um, So as a result, I've been constantly thinking about stem cells 24-7 and how interesting they are all semester long. Um, And I just really wanted to share um, everything that I've learned and the really interesting ethical issues um, with my lovely podcast co-hosts today. Um, So I'll pass it on to Lauren, if you could quickly introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Lauren, and I am a research associate, so research technician, and I work in a cancer biology lab. Hi everyone, I am Sarah. Um, I am one, I was going to say one-fifth, but I think now one-sixth of the interactome. Um, And I was going to say I have a limited knowledge of stem cells. I've learned about them in a few classes, but haven't focused heavily on them, so I'm excited to learn more about them. And yeah, talk about the real-life applications of them too. Yeah, we are so excited to have you guys here And um, yeah, I also wanted to pop that question to you too, Lauren. Um, So how have you heard about stem cells and um, kind of like what's what's your current knowledge about them right now? Yeah, so um, I was just talking to Maya and Sarah before we hopped on this podcast recording um, and I was telling them that, you know, I have a limited background in stem cell biology so I was listening to some podcasts and I actually was listening to an interview with the CIRM CEO and so that's the stem cell agency in California Um, and she had a lot of really interesting um, kind of things that she was talking about about like the future of stem cell application in medicine and biotechnology Um, And I also am a little bit familiar about um, on stem cells in cancer. Um, There has been like some work done on using stem cell transplants for mainly leukemia and lymphoma patients. Um, And so, yeah, my background is limited. So I am so excited to kind of mine Maya's knowledge base in this area. Yeah, I think we're going to learn quite a bit today. 
Um, and I am also really excited to talk about that leukemia stem cell transplant that you mentioned. Um, it's a really, really cool development in medicine. Um, but I guess it makes the most sense to start off to talk about what exactly is a stem cell. Um, so you guys might have heard about stem cells in your classes or in the news. Um, there's all sorts of like interesting research and applications happening, um, like we've mentioned, um, where stem cells are kind of like the focus of that. So what exactly is a stem cell? Well, a stem cell um, is special because it has these two properties that make it a stem cell. So the first property that they have is called self-renewal, which means that they can grow and make more of themselves. Um, and the second property, um, which I think is probably the most interesting one, is called potency. So what potency means is that the stem cell has the ability to become a different type of cell. Um, or to say it like more clearly, it has the potential to become a specialized cell. So we all have specialized cells in our body. So we got skin cells, we got liver cells, we got neurons in our brain. Um, those are cells that are found there and those are all specialized differentiated cells. Um, and all of those differentiated cells had to have come from somewhere and their origin is basically the stem cells. And what's pretty cool about um, stem cells is that there are all sorts of like different kinds of stem cells that you have at one point in your life or the other. Um, so this is where the potency properties, <laughs> sorry, the potency property of stem cells comes in. So um, there's kind of like a scale of how potent a stem cell can be or how, um, how many things it can turn into. So if you imagine like on one side of the scale, you have stem cells that are unipotent. So this means that they can have the ability to turn into one type of specialized cell. Um, so and then I have a the, question. Oh yeah, so of course. The unipotent stem cells, um, you say that they can only turn into one type of specialized cell. Are all unipotent stem cells going to turn into the same specialized type of cell or do they uh, kind of turn into different cells? That's a good question. Oh, sorry. What was the second part of your question? Do they all turn into... The same type of cell or a different, uh, like different unipotent stem cells will specialize into different type of cells? Oh, yeah. That is a great question. So to explain it, so it's kind of like the first option that you mentioned. So there are different kinds of unipotent stem cells. So for example, um, unipotent, a, an example of a unipotent stem cell is a muscle stem cell um, because those stem cells can only turn into muscle cells um, and they can't turn into skin cells and they can't turn into liver cells and so on and so forth. So there are a few examples of that around your body of the unipotent guys. Um, so that's kind of like one end of the potency spectrum, um, which is interesting. But I think probably what captures um, a lot of people's attention is that is the other side of the spectrum, um, where cells can be pluripotent or totipotent. And those terms just refer to stem cells having a lot of potential to turn into different cell types. So for example, um, if a stem cell is pluripotent, that means that it has the ability to turn into every kind of cell in your body. So if we have a pluripotent stem cell, it can turn into your skin cell, a neural cell, 
um, intestinal cell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's pretty cool to think that just this one kind of simple original cell has the potential, do you see what I did there, has the potential <laughs> to turn into so many different kinds of cells in our body. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that's just crazy to think that our body's biology is so sophisticated that a, I almost think of it as like a, um, like a basic cell, you know, like kind of like yeah. a skeleton and um, like depending on the environment or the signals it's sent, it can like morph into like a neural cell versus a um, like muscle cell. Like that's crazy to me. That's yeah. To quickly add on to what you're saying, Lauren, I think this kind of phenomenon of stem cells becoming other types of cells is like this very beautiful mystery that has like captivated biologists and maybe people that weren't biologists and when science like hadn't really taken off yet. But even like in the really olden days, people were always curious about, you know, how do how do organisms come about? Like, how are we growing from like babies? Like, how does development happen? And stem cells play a lot of role in that. And it's like what you're saying, it all has to do with the environment around the stem cells, all the signals that the other cells are sending, all the proper conditions. It's like a, there's like recipes for all the different kinds of cells that um, the stem cell can become. Um, and it just tells the cell what to do and what path to take. It's, it's really cool because going off of, I guess, both of your points, it's almost like a reverse way of thinking about your cells. I feel like a lot of times, th at least throughout the years when I was growing up, I would think, oh yeah, like my skin cells, my skin cell. And that's true, but that was its end destination. It wasn't always that skin cell. And like, kind of like how Lauren said, your ground zero of cells are your stem cells. Um, but I did have a question kind of backtracking a little bit. So I know unipotent stem cells will differentiate into one type. But does that mean a uh, pluripotent stem cell can also become like a muscle cell, like you said? Or are muscle cells always going to come from a unipotent stem cell? Yeah, that's a great point. So it's a little tricky, I think, to explain because I think with a lot of the terms for potency that come around, like it's a lot of nuance, I think. So you're definitely correct in that, let's say we're talking about our good friend, like the muscle stem cell, that's unipotent. Um, so that definitely gives rise to muscle cells down the line. Um, but when we're thinking about pluripotent stem cells, um, those are the kinds that can differentiate into any cell in your body. Um, those are only around in your body um, at the time of fertilization. So like when you were a zygote after sperm met egg, um, and after a few developmental steps, um, that's where your pluripotent stem cells are. And as you progress through embryonic development um, and you're beginning to develop like organs and everything that makes you you, um, all of that, um, so like the potency of those cells that were there decreases. So you're no longer going to have pluripotent stem cells um, basically like after a certain stage in development before you're even born. So to answer your question, it's like the pluripotent stem cells give rise to these kind of like intermediates um, that are like 
that that can give rise to like other things in your body, which can include the stem cells. But this is actually something that's kind of hotly debated in the stem cell field because we don't know exactly what's responsible for what decides like what's responsible for maintaining adult stem cells. So those are like the unipotent guys. Um, uh, sorry, let me backtrack a little bit. So we don't know. We don't really know what's responsible for maintaining those like later stage stem cells like are they just coming right off of embryonic development or like are they popping up like somewhere else um so it's still kind of a mystery where um those are kind of like becoming or coming into like their role i should say interesting Um, so it's a good question and people don't really quite know yet (laughs) okay and so i know also one last thing and then we can move on from potency but um, I remember learning, and correct me if this is not right, but totipotent, totipotent. Mm. I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's fine. Um, those kind of stem cells can differentiate into absolutely anything. But pluripotent mm-hmm. is missing one thing, right? They're not allowed to. Yep. I forget what it is, though. Yeah. So the totipotent guys, so those guys are like, the ultimate stem cell so they can differentiate into everything and the main difference between totipotent and pluripotent stem cells is that totipotent stem cells can differentiate into the cells that are found in the placenta so pluripotent stem cells can do everything that ends up in your body but they can't turn into the cells that are That's right. in the placental okay area yeah cool thank you but yeah great questions everyone Um, so with that, I guess I, this is a good segue to talk about where stem cells come from. So we kind of mentioned earlier, um, in the question that Sarah asked, um, that we kind of have like these two broad categories of stem cells. So we have embryonic stem cells, and those are the ones that are known to be very potent. So either pluripotent or totipotent, um, it doesn't kind of really matter, um, which is which, but just know that they're very potent and can turn into anything that um, your body has. Um, And we also have adult stem cells, um, which is a little misleading. Like you don't have them, um, you don't have as many like when you're adults, but they're basically just referring to the stem cells in your body um, that are there after you're born. Um, So we, it's kind of mysterious, like, how these adult stem cells are maintained after birth and how they can, like, differentiate them between the embryonic ones and the adults ones. Um, it's not super clear, but I think the coolest thing about stem cells and probably the things that have the most potential are the human embryonic stem cells. So the ones that are really early stage in development um, and have the potential to turn into several things. So... Um, This begs the question, where do human embryonic stem cells come from? Um, And this is actually the source of a pretty big ethical controversy in the scientific community. Um, So we know that it's kind of a little, you can infer a little bit from the name, right? So human embryonic stem cells come from embryos. Um, And the reason why this is a big controversy is because in order to get those human embryonic stem cells, Um, this results in the destruction of the embryo. So there's no way to kind of isolate the embryonic stem cells from the whole embryo itself um, without resulting in its destruction. And 
This is, again, like a hotly contested topic, um, but a lot of advances in science have relied on human embryonic stem cell culture lines um, since there's so much potential research and therapeutic applications you can do with them. Um, since we mentioned earlier that we have a lot of recipes and signals and different environments we can put the stem cells in and they can turn into whatever we want. So this is a really valuable tool um, in studying all sorts of things in biology, um, but it does bring forth an ethical issue. Um, so one thing that I want to point out is that um, there is a common misconception that embryonic stem cells um, come from aborted fetuses. And just want to make the announcement that this is not true. It's never true. Um, humic embryonic stem cells are used um, in science and research labs. They're always coming from donated embryos that are formed by in vitro fertilization. So these embryos have never seen a womb. Um, they're made in a lab um, and they're donated with consent um, by the parents that no longer have a need for them. Yeah, that's a really good clarification. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think it can be really uh, challenging when you are seeing kind of like stories in the news or just like social media, kind of just generally in your intake of information about stem cell therapies or stem cell biology. Um, and they can be like really emotional arguments um, founded upon like falsehoods essentially so I'm really glad that you brought that up and clarified that because it's not really um honestly it's not that easy to find out that information unless you know where to look right yeah I 100% agree because this is actually something that I learned when taking this class I didn't know that the embryos that they were taking the embryonic stem cells from I didn't know that they came from in vitro fertilization yeah um but that in and itself um, can raise a lot of ethical issues as well, because um, depending on your definition of where life begins, um, some believe that life begins at conception, so when sperm meets egg. And so they kind of value an embryo as like a potential human being. Um, and thus, if you generate human embryonic stem cell lines from an embryo, um, this, in some people's minds, is equivalent to like murder or taking someone's life. Um, but others will think that, oh, you know, like this is really early in the developmental stage. Um, perhaps it's not really considered a human being since it hasn't re attained consciousness or like experienced life outside the womb um, or hasn't developed or even further. in the womb, right? Or even in the womb, right? Because these yeah. embryos have never seen the inside of a womb. Um, and so this is why there's like another camp of people that think that it's totally okay to use um, human embryonic stem cells in research and therapies. Um, and there's been kind of like a great divide. Um, I think like some most recent polls like in the US, like some people are still kind of unsure or not like if we should be using embryonic stem cells since like yeah. the embryo is destroyed and like you can't have, it can't become a person, right? Because you're taking out the stem cells um, but others like really value the potential of really helpful research that could come out of it. So it's an interesting question. And yeah, for a yeah, while, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And for a while, like the government was like also pretty divided on this too. It's really interesting because like oftentimes when people think about science, they think it's like pretty black and white and, you know, it's untouched by like politics or like societal things. But 
actually, like, those things do play a role in how well science can progress and how well it can get funded. Um, because for a while, the government um, actually decided to freeze um, the production of any new human embryonic stem cell lines because everyone's opinion was so divided on it. Um, and they prohibited, like, federal funding um, towards stem cell research because of this, um, towards human embryonic stem cell research, I should say more specifically. Um, and I think in recent years that has been overturned. Um, so now people can research um, using the embryonic stem cell lines, but it's still kind of like a, a topic that lingers in our minds today. Yeah, definitely a tough area. I have a question, uh, Maya, and I'm not sure if you could answer this, um, but are human embryonic stem cells that are used in research, do you know if they're uh, particularly more expensive than other cell lines um or oh, if they're like that's hard a good to question apply. yeah i'm not quite sure i don't know the cost of purchasing one of these stem cell lines off the top of my head um i would imagine so but also it's it kind of is a weird thing to think about because if you're attaching like a price to human embryonic stem cells like some might feel strange about that and some might be like oh you treat it just like as any other cell but it kind of reminds me that um, this interesting concept that like the embryos are donated um, by the parents that have formed them. So they actually sign off on a form um, that like says like, oh, like we know what these embryos are going to be used for. We know that they're going to be destroyed to generate the stem cell lines, but they also get no money out of it because they're donated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whatever therapies that they are that are developed off of the stem cell lines, like they don't get any money out of that as well. And so it's interesting. I've read some articles that are like, oh, like, should we pay people to like donate their embryos or does that like devalue potential human life or does it fall under the same argument as like you don't pay people to donate their organs Mm. um, because that could lead to like black market organ trading god forbid there's some black market embryo trading yeah Um, but an interesting concept to think about yeah i was gonna say like i and i don't know if you know the answer to this maya but i know a lot of the times in science when um it's difficult to obtain human cells or we've kind of crossed a bridge where it may be controversial or maybe running into a bunch of ethical situations a lot of times different cell lines are used from animals who are similar enough to us but not obviously humans so like pigs or mice um and is do you know if the vast majority of stem cell research has been um in mice and pigs like have human embryonic stem cells been used much more recently do you know when all that sort of started yeah, I'm not um, entirely sure about like the pers- like a percentage of like what's used more than the other. So I know that mouse embryonic stem cells were worked on first, um, and probably because like people don't feel as it's as much of an ethical issue compared to human embryonic stem cells. So it's actually pretty interesting because the person that first isolated and worked with human embryonic stem cells did it kind of like secretly like he had private funding um and just kind of like submitted his paper and there it was like the first human embryonic stem cells to be cultured yeah Yeah. so it also yeah it's an interesting question too because it also brings into light like 
animal rights? Like, exactly. should we be using embryonic stem cells from animals? Like, do we value people over animals? Like, do we have a do? Should we even like have a say in who's like more important? Um, and also, like, it's it's kind of like a trade off, you know, because in order to get more information that's useful for medicine and therapies. Um, the closest thing that you're going to have are human embryonic stem cells. And right. it's an animal model is good, but it won't be as close. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it definitely raises a bunch of interesting questions. My mind's going crazy right now. <laughs> I would love to hear uh, Maya a little bit about, um, sorry to like derail the conversation a little bit, but... Um, I really would love to hear about kind of what you have recently learned about the field of medicine and like biotechnology or um, biomedical research and stem cell biology. Like what's the hot topic right now? Yeah, and probably (laughs) I think there's several hot topics just because, well, I guess I'm personally biased because I think stem cells are so interesting Um, So I have two examples I could give you off the top of my head. Like one is like an interesting therapy. We've already mentioned it before, the therapy for sickle cell anemia, which is huge. It's amazing that we're able to see such promising results. Um, Or we could go in a more wild direction that's happened recently um, where people have gene edited embryonic stem cells. So I'll let you guys pick. <laughs> I would love to hear about uh, the first option that is, yeah, about cycle cell anemia. Yeah. So I am so excited to speak about this um, because this, I think, is such an important um, treatment. And I think it has a lot of potential to do a lot of good and improve the quality of life for several sickle cell anemia patients because it is a really painful and debilitating disease Mm -hmm. um so basically kind of what i learned about it is that sickle cell anemia um in case uh everyone anyone wants a uh refer on it um it's when your red blood cells um have a mutation in a specific protein that lives in them so if anyone's curious it's a hemoglobin gene um those red blood cells have a mutation in that hemoglobin that makes them adopt a sickle shape. Um, so I actually didn't know what a sickle like really was <laughs> or looked like, um, but it kind of looks like a kind of like half moon shape. Is that a good way to describe it? Like it's kind of like if you yeah. imagine a, a disc that has kind of like been punched in a little. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Thanks. And feel <laughs> free to back me up on any of this uh, background. I'm not a sickle cell expert. Um, But basically, normal red blood cells uh, have a different shape, so they just kind of look like a disc um, and not a sickle. And so, um, because of this, like, shape that the sickle cells have, um, they can kind of, like, clog up in the bloodstreams and cause a lot of pain um, to people who have these disease. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of not not a good time at all. And so that's why I'm so excited about this therapy. Um, So... Since we're talking about stem cells, um, the specific stem cells that give rise to um, red blood cells and other types of blood cells are called hematopoietic stem cells. Um, really long name. I think it comes from some like Latin word like heme or something is like blood. Um, 
but the hematopoietic stem cells, again, are the ones that are responsible for differentiating into the red blood cells. So something cool that researchers have done is that um, they've taken hematopoietic stem cells out of um, the patient. Um, so your hematopoietic stem cells live in your bone marrow, um, if anyone's curious. So they take out the bone marrow from you um, and isolate these hematopoietic stem cells. And then after that, um, they use some genetic editing techniques, so specifically CRISPR-Cas9, um, in order to fix the mutation that's um, in these hematopoietic stem cells. Um, so the hematopoietic stem cells are going to have the sickle cell mutation, and as they differentiate into the red blood cells, um, that mutation is going to cause the red blood cells to become sickled shape. And so now that the researchers have used genetic editing um, to fix this mutation, um, what they're going to do is transplant them back into the patient. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure you, they put them back in as stem cells, and then once yeah. they're in the body, they differentiate into red blood cells. Okay, great. So I know there's some therapies where they do differentiate them and then put them back, but then there's also some where they have like the stem cell version and then they let that differentiate later. So it kind of depends yeah, on the case that you're looking at. I'm pretty sure I could be so wrong, but for some cancer stem cells therapies, they want to differentiate. Like you don't, you want like the differentiated cells. So maybe in that case, they differentiate them before putting them back in. Yeah, that sounds right, honestly. And I know it's like for a lot of like skin transplants too, it makes sense to differentiate them into skin. Um, like if you have stem cells before. Yeah, yeah. But that sounds right for cancer therapies. Because like I think for like if you just have like plain old stem cells, they do release a lot of growth factors and signals on their own. So that could help like mm -hmm. parse down the cancer phenotype. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we were talking about the... Yeah, hematopoietic stem cell treatment for um, curing sickle cell anemia. So like I mentioned before, um, they've isolated hematopoietic stem cells from the bone marrow. Um, so that's where they live in the patient and in all of us. Um, so they've Sorry, taken just out... a clarifying question. They yeah. take healthy stem cells from a donor. Is that right? So you can do it. patient or they take You it can do it both patient. ways actually oh, so you okay. can have it yeah so arguably like you can have it you can have them come from a healthy donor mm -hmm. um and sometimes that works great it's just that there's a larger risk of immune rejection since it's coming from two different people um so the way that i'm describing it right now is for an autologous transplant so okay. it's coming from the same person and there's little to no risk of immune rejection um but yeah, but it can, you're right, it definitely can happen um, either way, and it depends um, per patient what, what the best move for them is. Um, but yeah, but basically, if you're um, taking stem cells from the patient, um, you isolate them from their bone marrow, and then you perform gene editing to correct the mutation um, of the, that causes sickle cell anemia in those hematopoietic stem cells. So the hematopoietic stem cells in the patient are going to have that mutation and they're going to differentiate into the sickled cells, um, which is why the patient has sickle cell anemia. So by using gene editing, you're kind of like nipping the problem at the bud at a very early stage. 
So those hematopoietic stem cells will no longer have the mutation, and when they differentiate back into the red blood cells, um, those will all be healthy and not have the mutation anymore. So once scientists have the um, corrected, um, no more mutation in the hematopoietic stem cells, they transplant them back in to the patient. Um, and this is kind of interesting, the hematopoietic stem cells um, are just kind of do their own thing in the bone marrow. Um, they have a happy home there, a happy stem cell niche, as some like to call it. Um, and they're going to take the cue and start differentiating into the different blood cells of the system, including the red blood cells. Um, and those new red blood cells are going to be the healthy ones. So for a while, there's going to be like maybe some mix of sickled cells and normal red blood cells in the patient. Um, but something that's pretty interesting about sickle cell anemia is that if you have a certain percentage of um, healthy red blood cells in the patient, um, that seems to be enough to alleviate a lot of the symptoms that they experience. So it's been a promising therapy, um, and I think I've read a few articles where participants in this therapy and also other types of therapy where they, um, like Lauren was mentioning, take stem cells from a donor and transplant them into a patient. Um, it's been really beneficial for them, and they have um, a lot less pain now. That's amazing. Um, I have a question about the treatment. Is it um, do, the, do they have to repeat the treatment or is it um, like a one-time treatment and then um, the kind of healthy stem cells will keep producing healthy red blood cells? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Great questions. So I think in principle, you shouldn't have to repeat the treatment because you're basically rebuilding this entire network and system of hematopoietic stem cells in the patient. Um, so maybe it might be necessary down the line to supplement that if like patient ever encounters something like really like a really severe additional illness or something like that. Um, but in principle, if you do the transplant and you have this like new network of healthy hematopoietic stem cells that are giving rise to the healthy red blood cells, I think it should be fine. Um, but that is to say, these are pretty new treatments too. And I think researchers are thinking of the same exact questions you guys are thinking about um, because since these treatments are pretty new, they're still going to follow the patients like for years and years and years to see if they require additional um, transplants. So I guess we'll have to see um, whether or not it's a one-time thing or you need more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so amazing. Do you know um, how many kind of how many patients have undergone this or um kind of where they're at in this this uh the development of this treatment yeah so i believe there are a handful i think that i know of that have undergone the treatment and have gone on to say like oh like i feel better now i feel great um so that's what i know i'm not sure if there's any like kind of like larger study Mm -hmm. being done my inclination is yes um since this is one of the few treatments that i think is fda approved or has gone through a lot of the hurdles or not hurdles but kind of like different phases of clinical trials and testing yeah. um to be able to be used in patients um so i would say there has been some testing done but i think we still need a lot of time to figure out like the long-term effects of these 
um, of the treatment on the patients. But yeah, I would say I would be kind of surprised if it was like a huge number. Um, but maybe my inclination is that there's like some small cohort out there. Um, I could be wrong, though. <laughs> it's <laughs> really promising. Definitely though. something really interesting. Yeah, it's really promising. Because like, it, yeah. it almost relates to, and I, I'm sure there's a whole field of research and avenue for this, but like, you know, as we were talking about before, the intersection of cancer and stem cells and kind of unlocking the immune system to treat, I guess, both of them in a way. I mean, I kind of think as, I don't know, I in my head, I kind of conceptualize stem cells in a way as like part of the immune system. Um, or they have like a pretty... I would say semi-direct connection depending oh, yeah, on the stem cell. Um, but yeah, I think all this therapy is really cool because in a certain sense, you are just nipping it right in the bud, these diseases and lifelong illnesses. Yeah, it was pretty wild to me because I was like, wow, they're really just building like a whole new like system of making blood cells like in your body. And that is crazy. And how do they know how to do that? Stem cells just know to take signals from the things around them. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do all these things now. Don't worry about it. So that's really fascinating. Not to say that like every stem cell treatment is like perfect, you know? So there's actually like some kind of like wild things that people are doing um, that have kind of like given the public like a bad rep about stem cells. So maybe you guys have heard about this, but there's like a bunch of like phony stem cell companies out there that are claiming to like cure everything with like a, a transfusion of stem cells um oh. and it's it's like a little wild <laughs> because none of their treatments that they do are like fda approved yeah how does that even happen i wonder yeah. like how they how that's possible really like how do they have the facilities and like the system to do that it's very interesting because it essentially like i'm under the impression that it's just like independent labs like doing what they want and if they can convince a patient to give consent to the procedure that they do then it's fine legally i guess but i would say no because i think they're violating a lot of bioethical principles because For one, like, I think with any treatment, you know, there needs to be careful, like, consideration into making sure that it's safe. So lots of clinical trials, lots of informing patients, this is what we're going to do and what we expect. Here are the pros and cons and the risks and benefits and all that. Um, But it seems like these kind of shady stem cell clinics are just fast tracking it and like like using the promise of like a potential and like a potentially cool and like novel technology to just kind of like very quickly do treatments that haven't been approved yet. Um, so also another danger of science, like it makes me think about like that Jurassic Park quote where it's like, oh, we were so caught up in like thinking of if we could do it and instead of asking why or if yeah. we should even mm-hmm. do it at all. Yeah, yeah. Like we can do it. Does that mean we should do it kind of thing? Yeah. Right. Um, No, I think that's really interesting and I think it brings up a really interesting point when thinking about kind of science and the public and how science is perceived because it is challenging when you are kind of like consuming a a lot of information and you're seeing, for example, these like 
as I'm going to use Maya's uh, quote, phony <laughs> stem cell yeah. treatments, um, of course you see that and you think either, wow, this is amazing promise and it's based on science, but really it's a far stretch from like some basic science principles, right? They've really stretched the principles that have been proved in the hypothesis is hypotheses that have been yeah. um, uh, proved. So you either like see that and you think, wow, that's amazing. And then you find out later in the line that after all the money you spent or, you know, the treatment you underwent that it actually w- was not scientifically backed. Of course, that's going to make you hesitant of like any other scientifically associated or scientifically backed um, Mm. concept or new technology and so I think it's really sad because there is so much potential for like amazing new medicine and like biotechnology products Um, but we really need to make sure that like we balance this fine line between you know regulations and kind of everyone doing their due diligence versus um yeah I mean I guess you can't control what people are doing independently but um yeah I just think it's important for like listeners who are in the scientific field or not just to be aware that um you know there are people out there that um may not have your best interests at heart and yeah that yeah and that's why we have things like you know, organizations like the FDA and um, kind of all these authorization bodies. Yeah, and I, yeah, I 100% agree with you, Lauren. And I think like a good way to kind of combat this is just like talk about stem cells more and talk about treatments and talk about like all the things that you need to have for a safe treatment and like all the pros and cons and just like get all this information out to everyone. Um, Because I think like if everyone kind of has like knowledge and is educated about kind of like these biological principles and what we can expect from them in the field as of now. Um, it'll give like, I think, a more informed um, perspective on what stem cells are doing um, today. And so, cause like I was thinking somebody could hear about like a shady stem cell treatment. Like one of the examples is like, oh, people are using like umbilical cord blood, which has stem cells to like cure arthritis or something like that. Um, so they might hear that and then know that it's phony, but then they would say, oh, well, like, how does that make that different from, like, the sickle cell treatment? Like, isn't that, like, also phony because, like, you're also, like, using stem cells? So it's good to know, I think, both sides of the coin. (laughs) Absolutely. I was going to say, like, it's really important to have conversations like this and it's important for everybody to have conversations like this, whether you're in science or your profession is in a different field because it's not like us scientists have the answers either. I mean, I know we, we kind of touch on this theme all the mm-hmm. time, but it's true. We don't. And this is a field that's rapidly evolving and we're still all trying to figure it out and we're all trying to figure it out together. So I'm, I'm really glad we're doing this. Yeah. I have a question um, for the two of you. If you are a um, someone who doesn't have a scientific background, uh, and you saw, you came across these treatment options. Let's say you have arthritis and you see kind of this um, company or this person, this individual approaches you with this um, stem cell treatment. Where do you turn to or how do you find out if it's legitimate? 
um, kind of what, what, how can you do that? Yeah, that is a good question because I think it's honestly not an easy thing to do. So we actually like took a look at one of these like phony stem cell company websites and like the website looks legit. Like they have things like on that website that say, oh, like we've like tested it and it's like um, they have like a very specific wording that says like, oh, it's past like FDA standards of manufacturing, but it's not quite it's been through FDA approved mm. like clinical trials. So those kind of like tiny things I think um, are good to look out for. But again, it's like pretty hard to um, it's pretty hard to know like for sure since these companies are using like such careful wording. Um, so what I would recommend is that um, for one, um, trying to see like I think like news articles are always like a great way to um, see kind of like what's going on behind these treatments um, because a lot of the way that these stem cell companies were exposed was because um, they had a lot of incidences of like hospitalizations and serious injuries after their treatments. So if you see a company out there like that has a pretty high record of sending their patients to the hospitals, I would probably not recommend those treatments um since they seem pretty risky um and could cause harm to you yeah and a lot of yeah no a a big basis of those um treatments and those incidences of like sending patients to the hospitals was that um they were experiencing septic shock so the companies weren't being really sterile when Mm. performing the transplants and whatever um so i would recommend looking into like the history the testimonials um, some things you see on the news about these companies and also like asking a friend. So maybe you have a friend who's a biologist or stem mm-hmm. cell enthusiast and you can ask them what they think. Um, yeah. And do you think like this treatment is real or legit? Would you recommend it to me? Um, and that sort yeah, of thing. I would also probably as a person or I mean, as, as someone who doesn't know too much about stem cells or potential treatments offered to me whether I'm in science or not um, I would probably consult two things one my physician who could probably point me in the right direction and kind of give me okay these are the red herrings this is what you should be wary of but then also a lot of times and maybe Maya you even know um, about this in general is like a national database or something some center that has like a national website that's kind of backed by the government that lists the organizations that you could go through um, or the ones that are safe and have the results up there and readily available to the public. That's probably something else that I would look for. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to say. If you have, you know, if you turn to your primary care provider um, and also kind of search on... um, you know, like national health uh, websites or centers. Um, I think that could be really helpful. Um, So to turn to more of like the um, kind of general overview um, and like snapshot of stem cells, is there anything else, Maya, that you would like to cover in this episode? Um, I know that there's so much to do with stem cells that we could talk about. but is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you're super excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. So 
for one, I guess to wrap up, um, we talked about what stem cells are. They're different jobs in our bodies. Um, so stem cells can have varying levels of potencies or ability to turn into something else. Um, and there are some stem cells that have a super great ability to turn into all sorts of cells in our body and are useful for research um, and therapeutics. And we also ran into some of the interesting ethical controversies that come with using stem cells. So for example, we talked about embryonic stem cells and the issues there, um, how that might be an issue for people who have differing opinions on when life truly begins, and also um, for stem cell treatments and how to know if those are legit or not, and um, whether or not uh, you should, well, not whether or not, but how to balance making exciting and very useful therapeutic discoveries while also very rigorously making sure treatments are safe um, and good for the people that they are targeted towards. Um, so yeah, I think that about covers all sorts of interesting thing about stem cells. And you know, we could talk about this all day, um, but I think that is a great snapshot of all of the things that go into thinking about stem cell biology and the ethics around them. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Maya. That was super interesting. I learned a lot and I really hope our listeners learned something new today. Yeah, this was fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for tuning in to today's um, episode on stem cells and biology. So if you have a question, um, or a comment, please feel free to let us know. And you know where to find us on all our social media channels. We look forward to hearing from you. If you are considering a regenerative medicine product and have questions about how it is regulated, including whether FDA approval is required, whether it is FDA approved, or what to consider before participating in a clinical trial, we urge you to call 800-835-4709 or email ocod at fda.ahs.gov for more information.